From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up uh, with Jeremy Schilling. It's the Sunday Sprint. It's a lot of things together as one, as not one, whatever. Uh, We haven't had Danny Flecka on the talk non-gambling stuff in a while, non-fantasy stuff in a while. Danny Flecka joins us. Good morning, Danny. How you doing, my man? I'm good. All right, let's roll through a couple things here. Number one. Le'Veon Bell claims that he's been tested for HGH a bunch and wants to stop uh, being tested and claims he won't uh, accept the test the next time it's given, which means he will have to sit out because that's the penalty if you skip a test. Uh, I don't understand these tests. I've never understood these tests. Uh, There's a running joke in the PGA Tour that if you shoot a low number, you're automatically going to be tested because that's the theme, the entire randomness concept goes out the window what's your thoughts on randomness what Le'Veon Bell is experiencing and the drug program just in general yeah I think we see it in every sport though too right in baseball I saw an Instagram post I think from Danny Green the other day where he said he caught an alley-oop and was drug tested when he got back to the locker room at the end of the game I think we see that anybody that might be uh, performing maybe over their abilities or what their resume has said that they would do would go out there and uh, you know eventually get tested or get that random test the next day I think you know we saw I, I think remember hearing Pat McAfee say he you know if he had a good game on, on a Sunday punting the ball then on Tuesday when he would go back to his locker he had a request for a drug test so I do think they don't have that randomness necessarily built into the way they go about doing things and I I this is the first time I've heard a player say anything about an HGH blood test. I don't know if you've ever heard of anything before this, but this is the first time I've, I've heard of that type of scenario happening. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've known of the blood tests. I've known that, that this was something that they negotiated and got in. This is the first person I've heard that's complained about it. So, Yeah, um, I mean, realistically, at the end of the day, um, these players get tested. I think they know when they're going to get tested. I think doing five blood tests is a little bit extreme. I think once you do one, you know, the chances of that player getting hit for something um, that is on the banned substance list is probably really, really low. Um, You know, during the season is not when I think these players get knocked for their um, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. At least in football, you do see it every once in a while. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like, over-the-counter stuff or um, pre-workout stuff, not necessarily steroids or anything along those lines. So it is surprising to see one player who, by the way, is having a pretty terrible year. Yes. Get five times in the span of ten weeks. That was, a, that, that was my dad's reaction. What is it doing for him if he's guilty? Even if he's guilty, he's having a horrible year. <laughs> it's not helping. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a little odd. I, I just think the NFL, at the end of the day, is one of those it's one of those situations where they can't get anything right. Everything that they touch is, is getting screwed up. Anything that they do is it's being blown out of proportion. Uh, their, their public relations right now is an absolute nightmare, and this is just another blemish on, on their record. And it doesn't help their case either with the, the collective bargaining agreement coming up. You know, you're just adding more ammo to the uh, to the players' union to show that, hey, you guys are are nonsense. Nothing you do makes sense. You don't follow any protocols or policies. And at the end of the day, our players are suffering for it. And you know, we see it here with the drug test, with the suspension, with 
the, the pay, with the 17-game schedule, everything that they say they're going to do to help the players out, their actions show a different story. So I really don't think that they're doing the, the best thing right now for them as they head to the bargaining table in the next couple of months to get the CBA handed out. Speaking of collective bargaining, we've got this situation with the Astros. You said you're sick of talking about it. Yet everywhere we turn, um, there's new developments. Jeff Passan of ESPN.com is now there uh, looking for Band-Aids that have a special buzzing feature in them um, and trying to see if this crazy concept exists. We're both Yankee fans. We both were smitten, apparently, by a cheating scandal that involved whistling. Um this is something baseball hasn't seen in a while, and this is a really bizarre scenario. And it just, it, it to to me, it's just sad. Yeah, I mean, it, it hurts baseball in general because baseball is a dying sport, and people can't understand why they don't make the changes they need to make. And here you have one of the better teams in the league who have done these things to get maybe where they've gotten to by cheating. Now, if they had gone to an extreme to give their players special band-aids or wrist guards or whatever it is that lets them know when certain pitches are going, you know, well, that's definitely taking it to an extreme and might be a scandal that a baseball can't get rid of. And I think then, you know, the policing of the game needs to be done a little bit differently. As far as, like, the, the bare bones of, of what's going on, the sign stealing, et cetera, that's just really part of the game, and it's really not something they're ever going to get rid of, I don't think, because, you know, as well as I know, you, these teams and these players will find another creative solution to steal signs or to hit pitches or, or whatever it might be, but if a team is going to an extreme to outfit their players with certain materials that will allow them to have the communication that is not allowed then we're talking about a whole different thing. If there's anything that I know about you, it's that you're competitive, you love to play, and you don't take bullshit kindly. Where do you fall on load management? On load management? Yep. I think it's one of those things where, as a player, depending on the sport you're you're in, that you know it could be a good thing for you and for your team. I, I... don't understand the concept of it because it's a, it's a newer concept, you know, it is, you know, it's something that is used for players, I think, to keep them fresh, but at the same time, you know, we run into those issues with viewership and with games on the schedule and TV rights and it's more politicized than it maybe has to be. Most management could be something simple as, you know, a player instead of playing 40 minutes a game, play 20 minutes a game, or... You know, you increase your rotation um, to allow other players to get some experience. But I think what happens is when you see it work, apparently for last year, we saw it with LeBron James a couple of years ago in Cleveland. Um, when these players have had success doing it, then it becomes something that is going to be repeated over and over and over again with big players and big spots and, and with, uh, you know, good teams. So... Do I understand? Do I like it? No. You know, from a, a fan perspective, you want to see the best product out there every single night. But when you have 82 games in a year, 162 games in a year, it becomes something that it has to be talked about because you, 
not every single game is going to be weighed as important as the next. So, you know, if, if you're the Clippers, I know Kawhi got to a dust-up, um, and Doc got to a dust-up with ESPN or TNT, whoever it was, when they had a game coming up and he was going to be sitting, and they got mad. And I get it, because you pay billions of dollars for these TV rights, and when you get the games on the, on the TV, they, the best players aren't playing. But if you have a player that's getting injured all the time, it's something you have to look into. But there are other ways I think you can load and manage a, a player. Or <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I did not mean to clean my throat in that moment. Oh, no, I, I think I'm good with my point on that. Okay. All right, um, we're going to use Tom Brady as a transitional phrase into the gambling fantasy aspect. So let me ask you this in the non-fantasy gambling aspect. Why is VAR causing so much problems in the Premier League when I thought we had this all worked out when it comes to the World Cup? Let's take the women out of it for a second. Why is the, because that's a whole different scenario of them not having enough of a tournament to, to get their VAR issues worked out. This is, we have a system with VAR for the men, and either in the Premier League or Champions League, you can correct me, we seem to be having a problem with VAR. I thought we were past this stage. What's happening here? I think instant replay is uh, very much on the hot seat in all sports, not just soccer. You know, football has come under scrutiny a lot lately. Um, I, you know, in the Celtics game the other day with the Clippers, you know, I, I heard on the radio, I didn't watch the, the game because of the West Coast game, but the fourth quarter to the end of overtime took an hour and 16 minutes with like six stoppages that were not related to, you know, commercial breaks or whatever it might be. Sheesh. Instant replay is just becoming more of a crutch than a solution uh, in a lot of these sports. Everything is second guess. They, they say that the, the instant replay isn't to reaffirm the game, but that's what's being used for. Um, you know, there are rules that are in place that aren't being utilized. You know, the pass interference rule came under scrutiny again in the Houston Baltimore game. And I just think that when you have these replay situations come up, it, it needs to be cut and dry. It's like, we're going to be reviewing for this and this. I just don't think that the, the leagues have figured out a way to make it streamlined. And I, I, I look at college football as, as a great example of how to use these replay. They look, at the, they look at the play, they have somebody there on site that is looking at the play over and over again. They bust down when they see something that might need a quick review. At that point, they may have reviewed the play three or four times, and it's a quick conversation with the referee as to what the situation is going to be. And boom, it's done. Um, there's no big screen on the, on the field. There's no um, hood that they have to go on there. It's a quick conversation. Hey, we're reviewing for targeting. I saw this targeting play. It is targeting. You call the correct on the field. Let's move forward. And no other league seems to have gotten that, and we run into these situations where you're reviewing the play over and over and over again, you're looking at it in slow-mo, you're not looking at it in real speed, and then you're, you're re-officiating the game and taking the human element out of it, and I just don't think we're ever going to have a chance to go back because now we're in a situation where you have to use it. All right, so it is time for the fantasy gambling portion of Teeing It Up. We start with Danny Flecka. And we start with gambling. And why are my Jets three-point underdogs? Sorry, we're not going to talk about that game. It's useless. Um, even though my dad does think the Jets will win out and get 9-7 and seven and get a wild card. He's crazy. I apologize for his craziness. Uh, what games do you like this week? It's funny you bring up the Jets because I like the Jets this week. Um, they've got momentum. They've got some momentum. 
Um, the Raiders away from home have not been great this year. They're 6-4. I think they both were cheap. They won some close games, some games that maybe should not have won. Um, their strengths are the Jets' strength, and that defense is, is a defense you can pass on. So I think the Jets are in a really good situation right here. They're being undervalued, I still think, in this situation. But Sam, four or five games now, uh, the opening game, uh, the Cowboy game, the past game, which we'll throw out the window here because that was just an absolute uh, abomination of a game. Um, Dolphins and then the Jets, the Giants and the Redskins. So he's, he's on a little streak right now. I think the offense is starting to click a little bit. You know, we start to see when new coaches come in, you know, around the 10-week mark or so is when the team, even if they are underperforming, start to level off a bit. And I just think it's a good spot for them. I think they're being undervalued. Oakland is, is a team that I think has gotten away with some uh, close calls. And eventually that stuff evens out. So I do like the Jets this week. I, I, I would not be surprised if they win that game or keep it very, very close where it's a, a one- or two-point game. But I, I do like them this week, and it's a game I'm going to be taking on tomorrow. Who else do you like? Another game that I like, um, I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet just because I am waiting uh, just to see if I can talk myself into it a little bit more is the Seattle-Philadelphia game. I actually really like the Eagles this week. Um, Seattle is one of those teams where it's hard to go against because they have Russell Wilson. And I completely understand that. He's a guy that keeps you in every single game that he, he plays in. But Seattle, I think this year, has won every single one of their games by seven points or less. Um, again, these close games tend to even out. And uh, I'm just I'm thinking of Philadelphia here in a situation where they understand that the, the spot they're in, they seem to be in the spot every single year where they need to, to win out or to win the next couple of games to stay in the playoff hunt. They know that Dallas has the Patriots this week. It's a big game for them. I think Philadelphia, you know, I was really impressed with their defense performance last week. They had a chance, and they stayed in that game as long as they could. The offense, unfortunately, had some injuries. They were down their skill set players. Uh, no Alshon Jeffrey, uh, no Jordan Howard, no Deshaun Jackson, no Lane Johnson. So they were in a situation I thought that was really, really tough for them, and they did all that they could to stay in that game. You worry about a letdown here, but I do think that Seattle's defense is not going to play like the Patriots' defense did last week, even with Lane Johnson out of that game. I, I do think the Eagles here have a, a good opportunity to, to catch Seattle um, on the East Coast trip uh, in a desperate game that they really, really need. So I think the Eagles are a team that I like this week. I think I said I'm just trying to talk myself into it. Um, all right, uh, let's let's look at fantasy for a second, and then we'll use whatever time we have left over. Uh, fantasy guys you like. So, we'll start at the quarterback position. I like Derek, um, not Derek Carr, I like Baker Mayfield this week. They're playing the, the Miami Dolphins team, a team we know is ravaged with injuries. If there's ever a week that this passing game is going to explode, it's this week. Um, there are a lot of buys this week, some injuries at the quarterback position, some, bat, some tough matchups for a lot of top-tier quarterbacks as well, like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Dak Prescott. So you could be looking to the waiver wires to maybe get a, a better matchup for yourself. So I think that um, Baker Mayfield offers tremendous value. And another guy, too, that maybe is overlooked is Ryan Tannehill. He's had four straight games of 20 points or more and, and 
standard fantasy league um, seems to be providing the Titans with that spark that they need. They're coming off a bye, playing the Jaguars at home. Um, that could be somebody else you could look at to see if he is available and someone if you want to you know, take a shot with. Going to the running back position, you know, again, it's, it's tough. Five weeks, injuries are starting to pile up, but there are some guys that better provide some value. A guy like Bo Scarborough on the Lions, um, you know, he was used a lot last week, about 15 touches and a touchdown. Playing a Washington team that who knows what, what their motivation is the rest of the year. It could be a nice plug-in play for you if you're looking for, for running back help. The wide receiver spot, I, I saw some news this morning that Philip Dorsett is going to be out for the Patriots. So I went and picked up Nikhil Harry just because uh, I think that he's in a situation right now and the Patriots are in a situation right now where you cannot keep just utilizing Julian Edelman and James White. Teams are figuring it out. That offense needs a spark. They need another option in that game. Muhammad Sanu's out with a high ankle sprain most likely. And even if he is playing, he's probably just going to be a decoy or on a pitch count. So Nikhil Harry has a great opportunity right now as a rookie. I know rookie pass catches with Tom Brady don't necessarily fare well. But I really think the Patriots are in a spot right now where they have no choice. They have to integrate this guy into their offense or they're going to be facing a long run ahead. Their, their defense and special teams have carried them. You, you know, we hear every single week Tom Brady saying that he needs his offense to perform more efficient. And I think a lot of that's on him as well. Involve some other people in the offense, get those people looked, build their confidence, allow them to be an option for you moving forward. And I think Nikhil Harry has a good matchup this week, too, against the Dallas Cowboys, where they could potentially exploit him and his size and look to get him the ball. So that's a, a sleeper out there for this week that I like. What do you make what? living in Boston of the Brady issues? So I think it's twofold. One, I think it's, it's his unwillingness to potentially look at other people that could be part of that offense and part of their team. You know, I, I remember hearing uh, a couple of stats thrown out there that the best rookie wide receiver season with the Patriots since Tom Brady has been under center was Deion Branch back in 2002 or 2003, whenever he was a rookie. And that speaks volumes. One, because Brady was seen his third or fourth year. Perhaps he was still, um, I don't want to say naive, but more open to the opportunity to build somebody into his offense while he was growing as well. Most of the players we've seen with New England have had success have been veterans or, or people with, um, that have had a proven track record of success. However, since Deion Branch, no other rookie wide receiver has really made an impact on that offense. And I think a lot of that does go to Brady and McDaniels and teaming these guys open, calling the place for them, and just involving them. Even if, you know, I understand that you want to move the ball up and down the field, you don't want to waste plays, but there, there comes a point in time where you have to be able to utilize those weapons. And he's a first-round pick. He's not an undrafted free agent. He's not a seventh-round pick or whatever. He's a, he's a first-round pick, so the... The success of the offense, unfortunately, is going to come down to utilizing these types of players. So I think they just have to have that involvement with these players and get them in there. Um, another thing I think that has not helped them this year has been their offensive line. You know, we've seen the Patriots run very specific teams the last couple of years based off their personnel, and a lot of that has to do with a great offensive line and good tight end, and they don't have that this year. And I think that's been something that's hurt them. You know, they have 
are going to get Isaiah Wynn back? Does he solve all their problems? I don't think so. Their running game has been non-existent, and they've done... They made a conscious effort to keep guys like James White and Rex Burkhead fresh because of their injury issues and their stature. But I think at this point, you need to start utilizing everything you have available and using those players because if you're not using those players, then you're not going to be able to, to get rolling as an offense. And the third thing is I think it's just Sony Michelle has been a, a colossal disappointment this year for them. Another first-round pick, he hasn't been able to get going. He's not, you know, hitting the hole hard. He's not catching the ball out of the backfield. He, when he's in there, it's usually pretty obvious that they're going to run the ball with him. And if they are throwing to him, they're not giving him um, the, the space to get open or really looking his way. So he's been a non-factor this year. So I think if they can clean up at least the first two parts, they'll be fine. But I think... Until they get that going, we're going to see the Patriots be a little bit less efficient than we've noticed them in the past. All right, you are uh, 59 seconds over where you are, so unless there's anything you want to say, we're done here. Yeah, today's an interesting day, I think, college football-wise, too. I mean, some big games, a lot of teams still in contention here. Uh, big game at noon, Penn State, Ohio State, 18.5 points. Ohio State hasn't lost a... Hasn't, uh, their margin of victory has been an average of 24 points or more. So it's going to be an interesting game, I think, this week. I'm really excited to watch that game and see if Penn State can keep it close and give Ohio State a game because otherwise Ohio State you know, could be looking at you know, walking to a number one or number two seed in the playoffs. It's going to be very interesting to see how, how Ohio State play, plays, and it's going to be number two. Very interesting to see how the committee views Alabama without Tua if they're able to still win and that's something we'll talk about in the coming weeks but how do you balance Oklahoma if they win out how do you balance Georgia if they tend to win out or and or lose the SEC championship game but still put up a good number and where does somebody else fall into that vacuum and it starts today with Ohio State having to hold themselves against Penn State a team that's got nothing of any kind to lose going to be a very interesting balance here. Yeah, I mean, there's still some matchups on the calendar that are going to provide some clarity, but, you know, Alabama still has a really good shot, in my opinion. They're number five right now. You look at who's ahead of them. Uh, LSU, you know, their next chance to potentially lose a game is in the SEC championship. Georgia's next, next chance to lose is potentially in the SEC championship game. Teams like Penn State, Ohio, um, I mean, Oklahoma, they need a lot of help to get up there. And a lot of that starts with the SEC. So the SEC is going to determine a lot of what we see moving forward. I just don't see teams like Clemson or Ohio State potentially losing in the next couple of weeks. And I throw in there the Pac-12. Uh, you know, Oregon has a tough game tonight. You know, it, it's no shoe-in that they're going to win in Arizona uh, tonight against the, the Sun Devils. And then throw in if they do win and Utah wins out, that they are playing each other in the Pac-12 championship game in a couple of weeks. So still a lot to get through here, and it's not – I don't think the top four that we see right now is going to be the top four in a couple of weeks. Herm's going to have them ready to play. There's one thing we know about Herm Edwards. He's going to have his teams ready to play. And teams have difficulty going down there, and Oregon, especially the last couple of years against Arizona State, have had difficulties. So um, I think I was reading something that, you know, the last couple of years uh, after Mariota's left, that 
Oregon has had their playoff hopes dashed by trips to Arizona or reverse Arizona teams, whether it be the Wildcats or the Sun Devils. So it's going to be an interesting game tonight. And, you know, they got a primetime spot as well at 7.30 on ABC. You know, this is a chance for the Pac-12. You know, they obviously want Oregon to win. That's their best hope, I think, to get into the playoff. You hope that they don't lay an egg and uh, complete chaos ensues in the Pac-12. Uh, since you've already gone four minutes and uh, 17 seconds over your allotted time, do you want to talk golf before we hang up? Uh, I, I can't provide any input on that, unfortunately. <laughs> we appreciate the four the uh, four and a half extra minutes you gave us, and uh, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. No problem, my man. Have a great day. You got it. Take care, everybody.